If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 6, stretch out your fingers. We're going to be turning lots of pages tonight, so be ready. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus, after some prayer, calls his disciples to him and chooses 12 out of the group who are present. And and take note that uh, more than 12 actually followed Jesus, so it wasn't like, well, these 12 showed up. I guess I'm going to name them my 12 disciples. Uh, No, he actually prayed and then made an intentional decision about which ones he was going to choose. And this small group uh, of people would follow Jesus faithfully day in and day out. They would share life together, and Jesus would spend time teaching them and showing them the way to live. Their goal was to be with Jesus 24-7, become like their rabbi, living like him, and then to do the things that their rabbi did, teaching his teachings and carrying on his way of life to the next generations. Now, uh, this group of disciples that Jesus chose uh, was definitely like a motley crew of uh, people. You had white-collar and blue-collar workers. Uh, there was Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon, uh, the zealot, who are, were on opposite sides of the political spectrum. So tax collectors were working for the oppressor Rome, and zealots were violently opposed to Rome and all who colluded with them. You also had family and strangers mixed in with this group of disciples. And one guy was even known as a dude who was going to be the traitor, which, way to go, Judas, aren't you proud? Jesus was committed to living life with people, sharing in the highs and the lows of what it meant to share life. Have you guys read the Gospels lately? Um, if you come to Van City, uh, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, so hopefully the, question, <laughs> the answer to the question is yes. Um, if not, uh, do you guys just remember how dense these disciples are at times? I actually find a lot of... Um, encouragement, because I'm not the only one. I'm like, the disciples are dense as well. How many times does Jesus have to say to them, oh, you of little faith? Jesus lived with his disciples, and it was rough at times. They didn't always get it. And yet, Jesus didn't give up on his disciples. He didn't reject them. Instead, he charged them with carrying on his teachings to the world, this unlikely group that would help turn the world upside down. Now, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. It's just one book in the Bible to the right, John 17. The life Jesus envisioned and prayed for for his followers down through history, which includes us here tonight, is found in John's biography of Jesus. In chapter 17, let's start reading in verse 20. Jesus prayed, my prayer is not for them alone, which uh, in context he's, he's talking about the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, and loved them even as you have loved me. So notice, uh, Jesus isn't praying, Father, guide them as they seek to discover who I am on their own in their quiet times in the morning or whatever. 
Instead, Jesus paints a picture of unity and togetherness. There is no unity without togetherness. It is impossible to live into Jesus' prayer for unity if we aren't following him together. And we'll get to the implications of unity and witness Jesus talks about later on in the teaching. But for now, we have a snapshot of Jesus' prayer life, his prayers and desires that he had for his followers, which are including us. After Jesus' death and resurrection, it seems as though the church is is living up to his prayer, which is encouraging. Uh, Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Again, one more book of the Bible to the right, Acts chapter 2. Early on, Peter, uh, this disciple of Jesus who was uh, as dense as they come, preaches this spirit-empowered message to a Jewish crowd, and this is what happens in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Oh, wow. So uh, that's the first megachurch, right? About 3,000, and it sounds like an administrative nightmare. Uh, One day, I can't even, oh, man, some people, yeah, overtime. Um, But all joking aside, this is an astounding start to this fledgling church. And then check out how Acts 2 goes on to describe this this group of followers of Jesus. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we have this beautiful picture of the church, of of a community centered around Jesus. And we see the reality of God's in-breaking kingdom when his presence is tangible amongst a group of people devoted to following him. And it really is, it's beautiful. But uh, let's turn just a couple chapters to the right over to Acts chapter 5. And uh, Acts chapter 5 starts with this story in verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. Well, uh, the good vibes lasted about three chapters. That's nice. Uh, This couple, Ananias and Sapphira, so they sold this piece of their own property in order to give it to the poor, which seems to be a common practice that we read back from uh, chapter 2. Yet they pretended to give all of the money and instead kept some for themselves, which isn't the problem that they kept it for themselves, it's that they lied about it. This story directly uh, kind of links with a a teaching of Jesus's from the Sermon on the Mount, specifically one about uh, practicing generosity for the praise of other people. And what's worse for Ananias and Sapphira, they lied in order to accomplish it. Now turn over to Acts chapter 6. Next chapter, let's see how this one starts. Uh, In verse 1, 
It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So here we have what we could call two uh, cliques in the early church. If you think uh, the problem of cliques is just with the modern church, uh, you would be mistaken. So we have one clique saying, okay, well, these guys are ignoring our widows when they're passing out food, and another, another clique, I assume, saying, no, we're not, um, and these widows are kind of stuck in the middle of it. And really, uh, the rest of the New Te- Testament paints a very similar picture of groups of people who are following Jesus together. It's beautiful at times, and it's uh, really uh, quite messy as well. This master apprentice of Jesus named Paul, he wrote this to a church in the town of Thessalonica. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, which is like the region around the church. Uh, Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. That is high praise from Paul. But towards the end of the letter that he wrote to them, he also says this. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Or how about this to the church in the city of Corinth? He had to write, or he wrote, uh, I always thank my God for you, which sounds promising. And then if you skip down a few sentences, he also wrote, my brothers and sisters, some of from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Oh, that's nice. Honestly, there, uh, there's a ton of examples that we could use, and the list kind of just goes on and on. Um, but after reading this, uh, you know, one may be thinking, you know, this is kind of exactly why I uh, avoid practicing or following Jesus and I, uh, with other people and just kind of do it on my own. It's way less complex, way less messy. And uh, let's be real here. The, the failures of the church in America are really prevalent. And to the point where they're not even really surprising anymore. You know, the affairs by lead pastors, the abuse of power, the misuse of finances, the small group leaders who, who are wielding what little power they have with uh, vindictiveness and cruelty and on and on and on the story goes. And some of you have heard a ton about these happening like secondhand through the news or through friends, and yet some of you have very personally experienced these things yourselves. And yet when you read the New Testament, you don't see letters addressed to various churches that are perfect. You see churches struggling, wrestling with theology, divided, oppressed, confused by selfish leaders, and on and on and on the story goes. In fact, the teachings of Jesus on forgiveness turning the other cheek, speaking truth to power, humility, and I would argue the entirety of the scriptures come alive in the context of a group of people working out what it means to apprentice after Jesus. Ronald Rollheiser uh, puts it like this. He said, part of the very essence of Christianity is to be together in a concrete community with all the real human faults that are there and the tensions that this will bring us. Spirituality for a Christian can never be an individualistic quest, the pursuit of God outside of community, family, and church. The God of the incarnation tells us that anyone who says he or she loves an invisible God in heaven and is unwilling to deal with a visible neighbor on earth is a liar 
since no one can love a God who cannot be seen if he or she cannot love a neighbor who can be seen. Hence, a Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. And this begs the question, if following Jesus with other people is messy, how exactly are we supposed to go about doing it? What are we aiming for? What are reasonable expectations? And Paul tells the church uh, in the city of Philippi this. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul also wrote this to a church in Galatia. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In community, we live in the reality of the kingdom, uh, a kingship of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of God. We work to live out the reality in our neighborhoods and workplaces and schools and families and friends. We work to be in step with what God is up to in our lives, and, and uh, we work to be in step with what he's up to with our, in, in our city as he works to change both. And we do this together as a group of people. So the expectations for us should be commitment and faithfulness, not, not perfection. Let me say that again. The expectations we should have for each other as we follow Jesus together are commitment and faithfulness, not perfection. In fact, we should expect a group of people doing this together will be a bit messy. In their book, Slow Church, see Christopher um, Smith and John Pattinson write, Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. At Van City, we do this both at the gatherings. You're here tonight. This is what we call the gathering on Sunday nights, centered around the bread and the cup, singing together, studying the scriptures together, making space for the Spirit to lead and to speak to us. And we also do this as smaller groups throughout the week. We call Van City Communities because, quite frankly, even though we are a smaller church, you cannot know or be known by, you know, 100 people or so. Sociologists put the average number of deep relationships a person can have at 15. It's too easy to hide in a group of 20 or 30 or 50 or 100. So we meet in groups of 8 to 15 people throughout the week, and we work out our salvation together. We strive to keep in step with the Spirit together. We succeed, we fail, we laugh, we cry, we celebrate, and we hurt together. And we do this week in, and week out. As part of my role here at Van City, uh, I get to meet with other church leaders in the area to kind of compare notes and see how we can uh, maybe uh, improve what we're doing and and make uh, our thing kind of function a little bit better. And often when I tell uh, other leaders about the commitment level and the buy-in we require of those in Van City communities, they're honestly like shocked. Uh, on a number of occasions, like not just once, but many times, as I talk through implementing a small group model with other church leaders and explaining what we do, I've heard something along the lines of, our people would never uh, do something that requires so much commitment. And so this is my chance to say to all of you who are here, 
in a Van City community who have waited sometimes months to go through basics and then sat through the six weeks of basics in order to join or form a new community. For those of you who have been hurt by the people in your community and yet have shown up faithfully the next week, for those of you who open your houses week in and week out to your community, guys, to all of you who are in communities, I just want to say well done. You guys, like, I'm so proud of your commitment and your faithfulness to following Jesus in community. You know, this fact hit me just a couple months ago, and it's kind of stuck with me. Even though we generally start new communities uh, with groups of people who have little to no uh, relational connections with one another, we have yet to see one just fail. Like, to, to start out... Uh, out of the gate through basics and you know a couple weeks in or a couple months in everyone just kind of like give up and walk away and I mean we certainly do uh, our work to do what we can to clearly lay out expectations for new groups when they're first formed and to give people plenty of opportunities during basics to say no thanks this isn't for me but I am certain that the bigger reason what keeps our communities going is the tangible reality of the risen King, Jesus, at work in his people. The Spirit active in unifying the people of God. And we'll talk next week about our cultural moment and where we find ourselves. But when I look at our culture, this sort of commitment and faithfulness is highly abnormal. You, are, you guys are, seriously, you guys are a living testimony to the reality of Jesus. I just want to say, well done. Now, before we talk about where we see Jesus leading our communities this next year, I want to address those in the room tonight who are not following Jesus in community for uh, whatever reasons you are you know, trying to do it on your own. First, if you've been hurt by people in the church, by leaders or whoever, and you're hesitant to try again and to put yourself out there and to put yourself into a position to be hurt again, I want to tell you that your pain and your experience, they they matter. I've sat with many people who have been hurt one way or another uh, by churches, and some, you know, are still trying to give Jesus a shot, and some, uh, quite frankly, are not. And I am uh, just sincerely grieved by the hurt that the church causes at times, Um, But let me say this to you. The remedy to being hurt in a church isn't to avoid community. It's to be a part of a healthy community. And I don't say that flippantly or callously. I've just seen it time and time again. Really, like, I'd love to sit down with you and to hear your story. I'd love to chat with you. I'd not only love to see you in a healthy community, but I'd love to see Jesus heal that pain as well. Now, for those of you who are choosing not to follow Jesus uh, in community uh, because you just haven't chosen to, you, you, know, you show up to whatever church gathering you feel like, you'll attend somewhere consistently for a few months and then leave. Maybe you go to a church in the morning with your parents, like the church you grew up in, and then you come here occasionally at night. Um, maybe you're hesitant to invest in a place uh, because of real or perceived hypocrisy of Christians. To you, I want to say, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you're here with us tonight. Um, my challenge to you is to take the teachings of Jesus and the scriptures seriously and to just choose. Invest. Be known. And I say that knowing maybe Van City isn't the church for you, and, and that's okay. As I said earlier, I have the privilege of getting to know a lot of the other uh, church leaders in the area, and I'd be happy to point you in their direction, maybe to a church that may fit better. 
if Van City is the church for you, uh, then sign up to serve. Get plugged in. Let me know that you want to be in a community and wait for the next basics class. Be faithful and committed. If you're thinking right now, well, he's probably not talking to me. I think that's like, yeah, that could be me, but nah, that's probably not me. Let me tell you, I I am talking to you. Um, This is for you. And I'm just saying, I love you and choose. Now, for those of you that are already in a Van City community uh, or are wanting to be a part of Van City and are waiting to join one, there are two areas in particular I think Jesus is wanting to grow us in the next year. So listen up, okay? The first, I think, can be summed up in the word hospitality. Now, I have to say, as I mentioned earlier, you guys are already doing this by hosting your Van City communities at your house. So well done. This isn't a thing uh, like I'm saying to you, you guys aren't doing this, shape up. I'm actually saying it, well done, you're doing it. Let's take the next step together and grow in a church, in, uh, as a church in two specific ways. Peter wrote this to a bunch of followers of Jesus. He wrote, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, which uh, obviously he had to write the without grumbling part because everyone was grumbling about it. Okay, well, at least, you know, I'm not the only one from time to time. Now, the first way we want to see this happen actually involves the gathering. It happens, uh, involves what we do on Sunday nights. If you call Van City your home church, then you are immediately transformed from a guest to a host. Since we're so short on uh, people serving uh, everywhere, so go sign up to serve everywhere, please do it. We don't have the people to have greeters or ushers. We'd love to uh, at some point, but we just don't have enough people. And maybe this year will be the year. But even if we did, we want every single one of you to be a host, The main way to do this is before the gathering, during the four minutes, or after the gathering as we're eating snacks. Be the host, talk to the people you don't recognize, help people find the restrooms, ask them questions about themselves, make them feel welcomed because this is your home and they are your guests. Be hospitable. Some of, you, uh, some of you already do this, and, and uh, I love it. I was talking with one of our community leaders, uh, man, I think it was last week even, about a couple that was coming out of basics. I was jo- going to join their community, and she asked what their names were, and uh, so I told her, and she like whipped out this notebook and started flipping through the pages, and I was like kind of confused, like, what is she doing? And she like stopped, and she was like, oh, yeah, 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 I've met them. And, and then it hit me. I was like, wait, do you write the names of everyone you meet on any given Sunday? Like, write them down in your journal? And she said, well, you know, I have to because I'm really bad with names. Okay, guys, that is somebody with the mentality of a host. Someone who cares enough to go out of her way to make sure she remembers people's names, which is really just a a simple thing. All of you can and should start practicing hospitality at the gathering. We want this to be a part of our culture, you know, and if it's like hard or intimidating for you, if you're like the introvert that just wants to go get the coffee or the water during the four minutes, whatever it is, um, you know, that's okay, but we do want to grow in this together. The other part of hospitality we want to see our church grow in is hospitality extended to those outside your Van City community. Again, I think we nail this within our communities, so well done. 
But Paul wrote this to the church in the city of Ephesus. He wrote, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus is building us, Van City, into a temple, into a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The image that Jesus is, is, is using, or Paul is using, is, is the image of a temple being built brick by brick with Jesus as the cornerstone, as what uh, everything is aligned to. And just like in Jesus' prayer, there is a unity that he wants for his church. And we haven't been bad at this at all, uh, but we can grow in this, I think, by uh, being intentional. Let me say this. It, it is really easy and comfortable to show up at the gathering and only talk to the people in your community and then leave. It's not bad to talk to the people in your community or to sit by them at the gathering. We actually encourage both. Uh, It's a good thing, so do that. But I think we can continue to be built up as a church by uh, just extending ourselves a bit more. And I'm not asking you to be best friends with everyone here. Uh, In fact, you can't be, and it would be really unhealthy for you to try, so don't. Uh, But what if you came on any given week to the prayer team for prayer and you knew the person praying for you by name and they likewise knew your name? Or if you were serving with somebody downstairs with the kids and you knew a thing or two about them outside of their name and you could actually, in the moments of peace, you know, ask them about their life? What if you invited somebody outside of your community over for dinner? You could even like compare notes, you know, uh, oh, our community does this for dinner. What, what, do you, what do you guys do? You guys probably don't talk about that stuff. That's probably just me. I'm sorry. That's just me nerding out. Uh, be willing, talk about some stuff more fun. Uh, be willing to interact with and enjoy people at the gathering and outside of the gathering who have chosen to commit themselves to Van City to follow the way of Jesus together. You know, uh, <laughs> you know we did a demographic survey earlier this year. Uh, And do you guys want to know what we found out about our age group here at Van City? Um, We are 94.7%, for those of you, or for those of us who call Van City our home, uh, we are 94.7% 18 to 40 years old and 5.3% 40 years old or older. Uh, which is uh, a bit funny that we're so skewed. And it's, it's not surprising if you just look around, you're like, yeah, okay, it, there's you know, not much diversity in age here. Um, but it's also kind of a bummer uh, because it's a disadvantage for our church to be skewed this way. This means that most likely you are in a community with mostly people the same age or at least the same generation. And I will say this, you need older people speaking into your life. If you're a single 20-something, seek out people who have walked through your season of life uh, before with Jesus. If you're newly married, spend time with people who have been married uh, for a while. If you have toddlers, be encouraged by those who've survived that season of life with their sanity intact. It can be incredibly helpful to talk with people who have walked with Jesus longer than you've been alive. People with, at times, different perspectives. People with gray hair. We don't have many. (laughs) 
If you listen to us on a podcast, not speaking to you guys, but whoever is listening on the podcast, and you are older than 40 years old, I'd just like to say, pray about being a part of our church. We'd love to have you. If you're a Van City millennial and you want this, you want older people investing in your life, you will most likely need to look outside of your Van City community for it, unless you're lucky enough to be in like the two communities with somebody that isn't a millennial. For those of you above the tender age of 40, you aren't required to mentor or invest in people, you know, depending on your season of life. Um, But we would love you to, with uh, humility and patience and love and grace, uh, invest in people, grab coffee with people, talk about following Jesus together, and invest. Every month, Van City uh, community leaders, like we've been talking about in the announcement and that I was joking about earlier, uh, we all meet and hang out. We eat food, we pray together, we share notes. Last month, uh, we made some time to talk about how communities could be more intentional with partnering and hanging out with other communities. And I know some are already doing this, which is uh, exciting, but I think this is actually an an area of an amazing opportunity to grow in as a church being intentional about inviting other communities over to team up on a mission or to just spend a night together enjoying each other. Listen, uh, I am going to say this. I I will not do this for you. Uh, This is on you. So uh, be creative. Have fun. Take some initiative. And this is kind of like a piece piece of the culture that we want at Van City. This is, I think, the next step in our growth together as a church as we follow the way of Jesus together, this just idea of a deepened unity. And one more thing, if you are swamped with work and family and are feeling overwhelmed by the possibility of relational energy, of more relational energy spent, just take a breath deep out and relax. There is no obligation for you or anyone here to spend all of your free time hanging out with people from church. Please don't. That would be unhealthy. Just stick to learning people's names at the gathering and practicing hospitality here. If there are opportunities to hang out with people throughout the week, you are more than welcome to say no. We want to grow in this together while being gracious to one another in whatever season of life that we're in. Okay. You guys ready for the second thing? Here it is. Uh, It comes with a confession. This area of mission that we talk about a lot at Van City, we want to see the kingdom of God come in Vancouver as it is in heaven. We want to partner with God in that. This idea of mission that we talk about um, is the weakest part of our communities. Most of our communities struggle to do anything, uh, let alone anything consistently. Which means, from an optimistic viewpoint, we have a lot of room to grow in, right? Like, that's great. Uh, But I honestly don't think that this this has necessarily all been bad per se. I think for a lot of our communities, and, and I think for our church as well, it's been a season of Jesus laying a foundation for mission. So Matthew chapter 9 has this story of Jesus. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into his harvest field. 
This passage, in my mind, explains our season now and our season uh, that we're heading into this next year. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, had compassion on them. He then told his disciples to pray. As we continue to be with Jesus, you know, we have this uh, phrase, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things that Jesus did. As we continue to be with Jesus, we will start to become like Jesus. We will see the crowds, so to speak, and we will have compassion on them. We will see our city, our neighbors, and our coworkers, our family, and our friends, and we will be moved with compassion for them. We will become willing to inconvenience for ourselves for them, uh, to make time in our busy schedules for them, and we will pray for them. We will ask Jesus to bless them and to use us as he sees fit to share the good news of the kingdom with them. You know, the, uh, the leaders of Van City, you know, myself in, uh, included, admit that uh, prior to changing our church to this idea of apprenticeship to Jesus and, and spiritual formation that, w- that took place last year, we actually had the cart before the horse, uh, so to speak, when it came to mission. We wanted uh, people to be on mission like Jesus without, uh, without working to make sure they were becoming like Jesus. We were trying to have the harvest without the compassion to motivate it. So this is your fair warning, people. If you become like Jesus, you will do the kinds of things that Jesus did, which is to invite people to follow Jesus and enter the kingdom of God, to eat with those far from God, to see people healed as a means of showing the reality of the inbreaking kingdom of God, to cast out demons from those oppressed by the enemy, to live to serve and not to be served, to speak truth to power, and to show love and value to those marginalized and oppressed. This will be a part of the result of engaging in spiritual formation. And to be blunt, uh, I would honestly eventually love to see the language of mission become obsolete. obsolete. Um, So let me ask you guys, uh, when Jesus healed someone, was he on mission? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, When Jesus hung out with his disciples, was he on mission? Okay. When Jesus uh, prayed alone, was he on mission? Yeah, good job, guys. Way to know theology. You've been paying attention. (laughs) So Jesus was a missionary, which uh, is simply a churchy way of saying a sent one. Jesus told his followers, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. To follow the way of Jesus is to be on mission. It's to be a sent one. For this next year, we have the opportunity to continue to grow, to become like Jesus and do the kinds of things that he did. That's through the practices and spiritual formation. But we also have uh, other, other opportunities. Early next year, uh, I'll be teaching a House of Learning course on evangelism, and I would love uh, every one of you to be confident and to have um, just a sense of peace about sharing Jesus and inviting people to follow him. Uh, so come to that if you can. Love you too. Also, listen up. If you're in a Van City community starting tonight, I want to make a change to our communities, okay? So hear me out. If your community doesn't have a consistent mission, if you don't do something for the mission night that your community has built into its rhythm, then you now have a mission that you can all commit to, and it's something everyone can do. It's to pray. So let me kind of parse this out for you. We want communities without a mission to start doing this on their mission night. 
Every person in the community will bring a name of somebody they personally have a relationship with that is far from God. It could be a friend, it could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor, it could be a family member, it could be the barista that you chat with at your favorite coffee shop, whoever. Next, I want you to then sit down together as a community and share the name and a brief snippet of, of how you know them. And then, as a community, pray for them. Pray blessing over them. Pray for them uh, if they're in a difficult season and ask Jesus for you and your community to be used in this person's life to see them follow Jesus. And every five weeks or so, on your mission night, your community will pray for each of these individuals and ask each other in in your community, hey, did you have any conversations with so-and-so about Jesus? Hey, have you had a chance to bless them? How are they doing in in their season of life? And continue to do this faithfully and and see what happens. We want to be moved with compassion for the people around us who are far from God. And we want to be sent into the fields to be harvesters. To end tonight, I actually think that these two ideas, the idea of a deepened unity through hospitality and being sent ones to our city go hand in hand. Remember Jesus' prayer in John 17 for his followers in John's biography of Jesus My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let me share a story with you guys that, uh, you know, actually encourages me as we're heading into this, uh, this next year um, for our church. So over the summer, we did these meals after each gathering. Um, and to say that they were excess with, uh, a success would be a, an understatement for sure. Um, it was great to see everyone hang out after church, eating, talking. Um, we were uh, very pleased with how it turned out. One of the weeks that uh, we were eating and doing this, uh, things were kind of winding down, and I watched a family. It was a, a mom and, and three uh, young girls walk up to the front of the church and kind of hesitantly start walking in the front doors. So I kind of stopped what I was doing. I ran up the stairs and greeted them. Um, And they asked what the building was. And so I said, oh, you know, it's a church. And and then they asked, are you guys Catholic? And I think it's because of the the stained glass windows that are covered up behind that. They just assumed, I guess. And I said, no, we're not. If if you think we're Catholic, we're not. We we are Protestant, I told them. And uh, we, you know, we just try to follow Jesus. Or I said something like that. Um, So they asked if they could see inside the building. So yeah, sure, of course. Um, So I showed them around. And as I talked to them, uh, they shared that they actually didn't really follow Jesus, but uh, they had been drawn to the church. Um, apparently, they sat in the frozen yogurt shop uh, just right across the street um, and had watched us eat together. And they said how happy everyone looked and how much fun people seemed to be having together. And it made them want to check out what was going on in the strange building across the street. My hope and my prayer for Van City is that these sorts of stories would be more and more commonplace. That the unity of our Van City communities and our church would be a light to the city that we live in. 
Not because we are perfect, because we certainly are not, but because we are committed and faithful to following the way of Jesus together with all the beauty and all the messiness that naturally flows from that. And in our commitment and our faithfulness together, we will embody the reality of the risen King Jesus to our city. So guys, with that, let's pray.